Well, thanks, Ryan, for, for having a conversation with us, and thanks for having us over there. This is all completely new to us, and so you will have to guide us, old wise one, of what this looks oh, like. Well, <laughs> I think it's kind of new for all of us, right? I mean, this is just like the age of ministry that we're in, where like everything is kind of fresh, and that's exciting, a little bit scary, but also incredibly exciting. Yeah, we're kind of making it as we go, right? You know, it's yeah. the, the good part of it. And, and part of it, we're, we're Rob and Rachel, and we're... Uh, co-host of the Holy Roast podcast, which is a podcast sponsored by the Kentucky Annual Conference. And we are both members of the Ministerial Services Operational Team. This all sounds very fancy. We are just really, at the end of the day, two local church pastors who are trying something new, which is what we are all doing, as, as Ryan just mm-hmm. pointed out. So, Ryan, Ryan, who are you? Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, I love the uh, the kind of consonants that we have going on here. So I am Ryan, joining Rob and Rachel. Yeah, I, uh, that's good. We just start something with this. Yeah. United Methodist Communications. My my role there is a minister of online engagement. So I um, help develop ways for the church to kind of move into the world through digital means and help people outside of the church uh, learn about and connect with people inside of the church. Um, one of the ways that I do that is is helping resource other people to to be able to do that kind of work as well. Especially since you know this big shift happened a few years ago, so I uh, I produce the pastoring in the digital parish podcast as part of that effort, and uh, do another podcast for United Methodist Communications, and a lot of social media work and website development, and um, and then just kind of like stalking out and hanging out with other church leaders who are interested in doing some ministry in the digital space. Yeah, that's awesome. Wow, that is awesome. That's everything we should be doing, trying to doing, and uh, I'm glad. This, I think this is going to be such a good conversation for for us and for our audience because we are all trying to do this, right? And we're all mm-hmm. kind of being almost blind throughout it because we're all trying to do things and we're all stalking each other, seeing what you know other churches are doing <laughs> yes. and other ministries are doing within and outside the United Methodist Church. And I think that's, that's such a fun place can, that, that we can be in, but also such a chaotic place, if we can be honest, right, to, to figure out what that looks like. I, I, I think uh, part of that goes to this is we, we weren't trained in this in seminary. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. even though we went to the, the best uh, seminary in the world, Duke Divinity School, right? <laughs> we, <laughs> oh, we have that running all in common as there, well. Oh, yeah. we do. The three R's and Dukies. Um, uh-huh. yeah, I, that, you're not going to call me a Dukie. I mean, I went to Duke Divinity School. I'm very proud of that, but I'm not a Blue Devil fan. You got to let it go. Okay. Um, but, but part of this is this was not a class we took at Duke. Right, and and I think for majority of seminaries, um, this is not a class that they would take. But this is where we are. So, where are we, Ryan? When we start to think about that, things we did not learn in seminary, which I think we could all create books and books and books about that. Um, mm-hmm. What do you feel like? Hey, here are the things that we wish we would have learned, but we need to learn now in order for us to be successful as church leaders, whether we are pastors or nonprofit leaders or we just volunteer at our local church in the tech booth, right? Um, what yeah. the, what would you say? Yeah, well, part of it is just kind of trying to vision cast for the future in a sense, right? And mm. that can be a little bit gray, um, but I think with practical experience through the last few years, we can get a sense of kind of where things are heading and like what skills we've found useful. And I, and I would um, hopefully invite you to add some, some ideas 
it, from your own experience within the local parish. But, you know, for me, for sure, it would have been helpful and has been helpful to learn about some of the, like, for lack of a better way of putting it, marketing practices mm -hmm. in digital space. Yeah. Uh, and here I'm not using marketing in terms of like, uh, this is how we're going to get our brand out there and, you know, score some sales leads and, you know, convert people to convert in a business sense to, to customers. But instead, like I, I think of marketing in terms of opening up a relationship and marketing is the way in which we allow ourselves to be knowable to people. So yeah. how do we as an institution, as faith communities, as these branded entities move into a digital space and let ourselves be known by our constituents and those who are potential constituents, so to speak. Um, and so that comes down to like, hey, within the seminary, we probably want to look at aspects of um, how we create content online and yeah. what are words like SEO mean? And um, what does it mean to, to cultivate a presence in digital space? And what is your digital footprint? And how do we responsibly put that together as pastoral leaders and representations of our infleshed ministries? And um, boy, there, there's so much there. I, yeah, um, yeah. I also think, man, I probably use Canva more than any other application at this point <laughs> because I'm, I'm a. I have other pastors on staff there. I'm the only full time pastor on my staff. I have mm -hmm. full time other staff, but but I've been blessed at, at being a millennial. That's a blessing and a curse, right? So I can know how to use Canva to an extent, right? But and and now it's just really funny. All of our. Uh, churches and all our friends, all our graphics look kind of the same because you could say we're all using the same Canvas <laughs> templates. <you know? laughs> Sometimes I get, yeah, I, I try to hide like every template I use, but every now and then it comes out and I'll see somebody else use it. And I'm like, oh man. Yeah. Yeah. I actually again. think I saw just, yeah. UM, and I don't know if this was you, Ryan, but I saw UM Communications put up a graphic right after I put up mine about Christmas Eve services and it was the same Canva graphic. But I think there was some kind of... <laughs> Not a sale, but something going on through UM comms. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. oh, I think they look at the Watkins Facebook. And no. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. But yeah, that would be, but I think that'd be super helpful. Even just knowing the terminology for marketing mm -hmm. and not in the way that we're trying to sell you something, but in the way I love yeah. that, the way that we are trying to enter into relationship, we're trying to connect with people. And a lot of that is now in the digital sphere and, yeah. and don't shy away from it. Yeah. I almost need some permission mm -hmm. giving. Yeah. Um, from our seminaries and, and other folks, uh, the higher ups within our system. Well, and if you remember a few years ago, like when we were in lockdown and so many of us were worshiping online, it forced us to, to really confront all of this. And then when we started going, kind of opening back up and people were like, get back to church, it has to be in person. And, mm. and many of us saw like only 50% of our people come back in person and the rest are online maybe, or you don't quite know where they are. And so it forced us to say, how can we you know, genuinely cultivate community using online space or hybrid uh, of connecting people. And, and I remember specifically different annual conferences came down on what to do about communion. And that mm -hmm. to me presented this just like huge sort of like theological, none of us were like taking the time I thought to think about it theologically of what are we actually celebrating in this moment of celebration and communion that sort of goes beyond all time and space to connect people together and, you know, a lot of did folks, you do it, just, Rachel? Did you do a lot of folks just kind of shut it down and they're like, no, don't do it. Don't do it. Well, I mean, listen, I stream. And so I don't know what people do mm -hmm. at home. 
Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh oh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not telling the bishop. <laughs> yeah. I, I did it. Don't I did it. Me. And I did it. And and I remember thinking, I'm gonna put this out there. And if I if they come get me, come get me come for my get grace. Me. Come get me. <laughs> because my people are home and they're scared. I specifically remember yeah. a Monday, Thursday, um, service I did on zoom. And that was really the only zoom service I'd done like that where everybody could see each other and you all popped up and yeah. I had uh, sent them this like recipe to bake bread. And so you could bake your own bread at home and then bring it to the love feast. I called it the, the I did the love mm. feast, but at okay. the same time, okay. But at the same time, like my folks, like we were, they were leading, they were doing communion. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? Like mm-hmm. of that sort of in that moment uh, of what that meant for them. But okay. So our annual conference is very strict of like, no, we're not doing online communion in 2020. And then since then um, we just kind of haven't talked about it again. It's just kind of there, you know? Uh, How how do you feel like those conversations went? We would just have one in, in, one little frame of reference here within our conference. How, how is that handled outside? And perhaps how do you feel like it's being handled now? Because we are now a few years away from that, mm-hmm. but the same conversation should be happening or we just moved on or we don't talk about it. You know, what, what do you feel yeah, like that, it, that looks like now in this landscape? It's kind of startling how quickly that conversation has died down. And, and yeah. I think that part of that is because as you alluded to, most of our in-person congregants have not come back on a consistent basis. Like they're still there, but they're the likelihood that they're attending worship every week has has dwindled. And that started before pandemic, but certainly, you know, since pandemic. Um, And so I think that has really invited the church into a space where we do think theologically about what is happening at communion and what it, you know, how do we extend that then into this new reality where it's likely that our people are far more scattered than, than they were before. And so how do we, you know, practice this centering practice where, I mean, in, in essence, it is the, um, the focal point of our, of our gathering as a faith community or church, um, to this new reality where our people are just kind of all over the place, maybe yeah. even yeah. In, in other States at, at the point that yes. we're at now. Um, yeah. yeah. And so like, there is another invitation for us when we think about, seminary education, you know, how do we bring these theological ideas out into a digital age where the ways in which we uh, have started to relate to one another have so drastically changed? Um, We're in an age now where it's hard to imagine for a lot of us, uh, I'm like lower end Gen X, you you both are millennials, self-proclaimed millennials, you know, self-proclaimed proud. It's hard for us to imagine (laughs) that, uh, we would be able to have a full, deep relationship with somebody without, you know, getting into their space in, in the digital way. And, sure. You know, seeing their pictures of family vacations and uh, the ways that they kind of share themselves online. So, yeah. I mean, this is part of how we relationship form and how we tend to make meaning across relationships in the age yeah. that we're at now. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's so, I mean, just thinking about it from a pastoral perspective of, I say all the time, like, I, I think I'm a bad millennial because I don't really know a lot of techie stuff and I really don't love social media. And if it wasn't for ministry, I probably wouldn't be on Facebook, but I am because 90% of the pastoral care needs that I discover are through Facebook. <laughs> like, well, that's people, a, a good or a bad thing, but it's just a it's thing, just right? A, it's just I a mean, true thing that yeah. like to know our people and to be known, it's like, yeah. You're, it's on, you know, and I even had somebody 
you know, starting out in a new appointment and, and I didn't post very much. I'm not a big poster. I'm more of a lurker. <laughs> I don't post very much, especially with my kids. I don't, yeah. I don't tend to post a lot of information or pictures of my kids. Um, but they were trying to get to know me, this new church, and they weren't seeing anything. And they were like, you know, it might help like a, a trusted layperson was like, it might help if you post a little more. And I was like, mm-hmm. Oh, I'd never really thought about it from your perspective. But from my perspective, you're right. That is how we are getting to know one another yeah. in this age. It, it's through our digital footprint, you know, our social media pages. And I still haven't decided if that's a good thing or not. <laughs> mm, yeah. Well, once upon a time, there was a, a movement to kind of push pastors out of the church office, so to speak. So mm-hmm. I heard time and time again when I was in parish ministry of, you know, find yourself uh, kind of like a an alternative working space, a coffee shop, a mm-hmm. local diner or something like yeah. that. And the whole purpose, <laughs> we're, all, we're all sipping our coffee. We've carried this practice forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the thought behind that was, well, this is a way to kind of engage in the community, to engage in mm-hmm. some social listening in a way. You can hear what people are talking about and what their concerns are. It opens you up for just these um, kind of haphazard or unplanned meetings with people. And in this day and age, really social media can provide that same kind mm-hmm. of role because uh, this is where these conversations are happening. And uh, yeah, it's it's yeah. a spot where you don't we even can have to kind of have these... Yeah, you don't even need to leave your church office or, or your no. home office, right? I mean, you can go right there to start engaging and, and posting things that really connect with people. Um, yeah, I think that there's a lot to yeah. learn there. Or you can double dip and go to the coffee shop and be on social media. There the you go. Time. That is true. That's what Post about what you're drinking and people are all the more into it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This oh, is true. They better yeah. put that on my job description. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> Pastor goes and plays on Facebook in the Heine Brothers coffee shop. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Every Wednesday uh, morning from nine till noon. My, yeah, yeah. Yeah. My office hours are posted at Heine Brothers. I yeah. would love for that to be. Heine Brothers is a local coffee shop here in Louisville, Ryan. Cause I know you're not no, gotcha. local to All us. Right. It's very good what though. We're, drinking. That's we're, what we're still drinking looking right for sponsorships thinking, speaking of. Heine <laughs> Brothers, wink. Here yeah. we are. <laughs> we, we are in your spaces a whole lot. Yeah. <laughs> so. But so this this role, though, of pastor from when we all graduated seminary to where it is now and things we wish we would have learned, could have learned, but I, I don't think they're prepared to teach us this, where we are at this point, it would have been for us, you know, decades ago, right, that, that we all graduated. Uh, so it would be different. But I wonder, is that role of pastor just continuing to evolve, right? From what a pastor looked like before was, hey, just just get out of your office, go to that third space, connect with those people, um, it's still a lot of churches were not very happy with that, right? When you said, hey, the mm-hmm. world is my parish, keep, I keep going back to the John Wesley quote. They're like, well, you weren't there when I came to the church office unannounced, and I'm mm-hmm. unhappy with that. I yeah. had those real SPRC conversations in the beginning of my ministry, and I thought, well, you're not. hopefully you're not paying me to, to sit here and just, just to sit, right? Available. Yeah, available. Yeah. Give me a call. Send me a message. You know, like I'm just out and about because that's where the people are. Um, but that can be hard for a church to understand as a, as a pastor. That can be hard for even now that I supervise other staff that I, sometimes I have to say the younger folks that are on my staff, yeah, that's part of your job. Go ahead. And that, there's some trust there that I have to give them to mm-hmm. be like, you're mm-hmm. not just doing whatever you want to do. They're and actually doing it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the work. Uh-huh. Right. Mm-hmm. But how do we define that work? That's a, I love that. How do we define that work, Ryan? And so the role of the pastor, what it looks like. Um, what does that work entail now in this digital first age, right? 
Yeah. How would you, yeah. what, what do you think? That's a really challenging question because we are in this period where we're kind of redefining the metrics of success within the church world. You know, we, yeah. We've read all the stories recently or even from several years ago about pastoral burnout. And mm-hmm. I think a large part of that burnout came because we're, we're holding to um, like statistical standards that are aren't going to be met anymore. And right. really what I'm talking about is that, you know, a lot of times we'll tie a, a pastoral success to like how many people we have in worship on a Sunday morning or whatever else event attendance that we're looking for yeah. um, throughout the week. So uh, what we've seen is that, well, now we need to redefine, you know, what it means for us to connect as a, as a church community, because uh, those numbers of worship are, are kind of, I mean, I don't know if I want to say that they're an outdated standard, but uh, it's a standard that's not going to make most of us feel good because we can compare it to what it was back in the 1990s, and it just it feels awful. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so, you can't really compare the what is the the three Bs, right? The buildings, the budget, and the butts, right? I mean, is that the, the yeah. what those metrics are that we have to yeah. turn in every year? Right. Well, you say compare back to the 90s. You could compare it back to two years ago before the pandemic or, you know, I've started at my church in 2019 and the worship then compared to what it is now in 2023 is dramatically different, you know. Mm. Um, And and so that's that's something I think it was last year was the first year on our end of year reports, our statistical reports. They put something about online worship attendance. Yeah. But then you have to define mm, what that means. You have to guess. Is it 1.5 times, right? Because if it's just streamed on Facebook, unless people tell us that they're there and say hello, I have no idea if they've watched or not. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and is that five sets of eyes that uh, where a family's gotten together, or is it one right. set of eyes? Right, who or is, is it actually you know doing the dishes just while this correct. thing plays in the background? And is it yeah. one view, or is it one three second view? You know, hmm. like what you know, you see people have hundreds of views of their worship videos online, and you're like, yeah, but how many people is that really? And you can spend so much time there, and then the the cynic in me is like, oh, that doesn't matter. I don't want to spend my time doing that, and yet. Yeah, it's it's what what does this look like when we think about the measure of success? That's where we were. Um, yeah, what are those, how we define that? What are those metrics? Yes. Yeah, as as someone in the digital world, Ryan, how how what would you suggest we really should be looking at when it comes to metrics? Because we, we can we can guess all day long, but what are some maybe some parameters that we could set together um, as a church to look at, not even the conference, let's just say our local church where we're serving. Mm-hmm. Hey, how would we say this is what's going well? And, and cause we're all experimenting at this point still, mm-hmm. which is yeah. a good thing. Experimentation is a good thing. Um, but how do we, yeah. What, what, what mile marker should we be looking at as a congregation, as church leaders when it comes to online ministry? Yeah. Uh, well, I'll offer what I can from from my experience, but I, I have to note this in saying, like, I am not the the lead pastor of a church. So, sure. you know, what I hope for is accomplished through my church's digital ministry might be different than the lead pastor at my church and mm-hmm. what she might say. So, mm-hmm. actually, I'll, I'll invite you both to, to maybe caveat on, like, what would you like to be measured mm-hmm. on? But mm-hmm. as I look at what I try to accomplish through our church's digital ministry, um, I want to see... Uh, consistent growth in in the number of people who were engaging. Um, and I'll measure that just through social media metrics. So like the Facebook metric engagements through the week, you know, if I'm able to kind of see cons- some consistent growth there, then I'm feeling like we're involving more people within the, um, within the activity of our church. 
a real win for me is when somebody who starts to engage on some of our social media stuff participates in um, one of our church events or get togethers mm-hmm. yeah. or, you know, our, in the life of our community. So, you know, they're showing up to worship in some way, shape or form or participating in, in some kind of adjunct like uh, Bible study or mm-hmm. something like that. Again, in some way, shape or form that might be in person or it might be um, uh, within the digital realm. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, I love the idea of trying to, you got to start somewhere as a part of that conversation. And, and also part of the is growth. It, it doesn't mean necessarily that I'm always and my TikTok video is going to have 15,000 views on it tomorrow. Right. But if we hmm. see some kind of engagement and start to see, for me, I get really excited when new people start to engage with it. Right. So yeah. the followers, mm-hmm. sure. That part of thing, but part of this, there's a response that you can invite to people in the online realm and say, Hey, that really resonated with this aspect of my life. Thank you for saying that. Or thank you for giving me permission to do that. Thanks for giving me a, a prayer that's accessible um, through our online ministry. And I, so I like that. I, I, and maybe for me, it's helpful to know, hey, just look at, is it growing to an extent? And mm-hmm. growth can look like many different ways. But for me, that's that, that engagement, that going the extra mile. Hey, I didn't just look at it, but... I'm now engaging with it. And now that's creating a community. Yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah. I've told folks on our board that it's sort of like the front door of church now of like the narthex (laughs) of your church is now your online worship. I mean, that is the first place people will look if they want to check out a new church. This might be an old statistic, but Rob and I both serve in Louisville and it was my planting coach a few years ago that told me that Louisville is the most churched city per capita in the South. And (laughs) so there are, I mean, there are churches on every corner. There are so many, and it's we have so many uh, seminaries here, uh, right? It's the it, it's where just north of here is where our annual conference office is. There's just it's our biggest city in Kentucky. Lots of churches, um, and, and so you have a lot of people that shift around a lot too. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. and, and so I think a a lot of people explore and church shop online now. I hate that phrase, but it's just the reality. And so I've told my folks, you know, after the pandemic, after. <laughs> In this in this stage, it's like streaming is going <laughs> to continue because there's a movement of like my folks wanted to stop streaming so that everybody would come back in person. Mm. And it's like, I don't that's not going to accomplish the goal that you want it to, because yep. now yeah. streaming is the narthex of church. You know, it's it's the front door. It's the first look. And if, if I can see that number of people growing and so now inviting people ch- to church, inviting people could simply mean sharing, you know, sharing it on social media, sharing the recording or sharing the stream or, um, uh, you know, of sending it to somebody, inviting them. Um, we had somebody that started following online, didn't know for months she was watching online. Uh, and then like six months later she commented and within two weeks of the follow-up, she started coming in person and it was Mm -hmm. like, okay, that's sort of like it, it happens, maybe not as much as we'd hope, but I love that piece that you said about engagement of like, yeah. if that number of just people hearing the good news or engaging somehow in a way that blessed them through a music, through a prayer, through a teaching piece. And if that comes to a next step of engagement in some way in person, that's awesome. Cause when, yeah. I'm not trying to plant an online church here, right? Like everything we do is, is going to be hybrid, right? Not everything. Worship is going to be hybrid. But yeah. after that, it's like, it's mostly in person. 
Yeah. Right. Well, I, you know, I, maybe everything should be hybrid though. Yeah. You know, that, that was part of the, when we're having conversations at a conference level here, mm -hmm. we're talking about different educational opportunities we're offering as a conference and different, uh, small groups. And, 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 uh, part of the frustration was at one of our conversations we we're having in a meeting was, well, why wasn't that live streamed or why wasn't there yeah. uh, a digital file of that, that those of us who couldn't come on that Saturday because we were with our children at that point, um, you know, what, hmm. I really feel like we missed out. Why wasn't that recorded? And that is still an afterthought to many, um, not just conferences, but local churches too, to say, hey, yeah. how do we continue to engage into outreach um, through these methods? And, and it's such a gift for us. But I also go back to kind of the role of the pastor. As I'm sure many of us, when we started out on this ministry gig, we didn't envision ourselves as, you know, this was the funny thing during the pand pandemic, we're all televangelists now. You know, that, that was like the mantra over and over again. But we really didn't envision ourselves as being recorded all the time of having yeah. a big digital footprint. Do we have a, a personal Facebook page and now a professional Facebook page? Do we, you know, how much do I limit now pictures of my kid on social mm -hmm. media? Because there are people that I don't know in person. Do I really want, um, Coop's face out there? Do I really, you know, that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. It's a hard conversation for us because we're, we're all learning of, of those boundaries of what that looks like and learning that we're not all, mega church pastors online either. Um, but we're evolving into something, but we're not quite sure what that something is. That makes sense. Yeah. How do mm -hmm. we, it, so it's, we're getting away from that traditional pastoral role to a different kind of role. Um, and that is a digital first age role. That is a, Hey, we need to engage with people online because it is the narthex, the front door. Um, yeah. What would you say? How, how how do we get into that comfortably? <laughs> Does that make sense? How do we how do we get there? What what suggestions would you have for us to say? Hey, where do we start? Even is um, in a pastoral role, or sure. do you mean as a yeah yeah? A, I think a... I think as a pastoral role because that that blending of my personal and my professional is blending there online, right? We also had a visitor who came who had been worshiping with us online for about a year and came in and she knew everything about me. Yeah. <laughs> and I had never seen this person before in my life. Yeah. And there was part of it, I was almost shocked. And I hope my face, I uh, hid that because she was like, oh, how's Cooper? And how's your wife, Molly? And how's it? I was like, I know zero things about you, but you know mm -hmm. everything about my family life too. But because I've yeah. probably used it in sermons, mm -hmm. I've posted mm -hmm. about it. Oh, you can see that my stuff isn't as private yeah. probably as it should be online. Um, so there was almost a shock of, oh gosh, you know, it, this is blending my, my personal, my professional. Yeah. Well, I, I think you hit it right there is to recognize first and foremost that everything is public, right? Yeah. And that yeah. people can't see it. I mean, anything that you share within that space is public. So right. in a way you can kind of cultivate a, for lack of a better word, a brand for yourself that is reflective of the ministry. And, yeah. you know, I think that when the bishop lays hands on us in this United Methodist tradition, like we begin this public facing ministry, like that's just part of, of who we are as, as people called to leadership within the United Methodist church. Um, mm -hmm. and that means that there are just aspects of our life that we don't get to hide from, uh, from the people who we work with in our community. Right. So, and I guess we have to take that mentality into the social media space that we are pastoral presences in the 
um, social media space that we are even called towards that in this day and age. Like it, wow. it's no longer like, well, I get to go do my church thing and then I can put my people on blast and complain about all the things that they do over on Twitter because they're never <laughs> going to see it. No, they are going to see it. Everybody's going to see it. That stuff is shared around. And especially noting that people who are maybe thinking about paying a visit to your church, they're going to look at that stuff before they, uh, come and, right. mm-hmm. And as a leader, like, yeah, they are going to check you out. You've already encountered that. Yeah, mm-hmm. They are going to check you out to, mm-hmm. to know. So that that's one aspect. But also to, to maybe do a little bit of what Rachel does. If you're not terribly comfortable in that kind of space, spend some time lurking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, and, and you can just post here and there. I don't think there's any pressure for any pastoral person to be like, well, you know, I've got to hit like 20 tweets or whatever they call them a week or, you know, yeah. five Facebook posts a week or, you know, make sure that uh, I've got so and so many TikToks out there. Um, you know, my TikTok channel has like two videos on it and I use it just for like being in that space and hearing what people are talking about. Yeah. Even my, my Facebook, uh, personally, I, I don't put a ton there. I've discovered, like, I feel like I'm way more active than, and I think it's just because I'm like there engaging and commenting on other people's stuff, yeah. uh, without necessarily sharing a ton of my own personal life in the process, I suppose. Yeah. So I feel like TikTok is the the one that's socially acceptable to just lurk. Like you don't have to produce mm. things or have content to like, you know, see what's there. Um, and I need to, you know, I have, I, I would just get sucked into it so much too, that like I lurk and I'm, I'm on Facebook a lot, but you might not know that, right? Because yeah. <laughs> like maybe you should have said a better word than lurking. You're a professional okay. lurker now. Yeah. It's <laughs> part of my job. But we understand what that means. Yeah. I follow you. <laughs> just kidding. Um, yeah, but you know, I I do certain things like I you know on Sabbath on my Mondays like I don't I don't get on it at all in any social media and then it's off my phone altogether, hmm. um, just so that I'm not endless, endlessly scrolling. But it is a reminder that like I have meant to post a few things about church or like my kids at Christmas time that you know recently and I've just like forgotten. Um, so I know I need to engage more. So I'm getting there. I'm growing more comfortable. <laughs> I think it's yeah defining what that healthy boundary is for all of us and what that looks like. And I think probably the cop out is each person that would be different, right. Than, than the yeah. other of comfortability and yeah. what you want that it, I think we can shy away from that brand language, Ryan. You know, part of that is like, what is my brand? What is my, mm-hmm. but, but the, that the reality is that that is a part of it. And I think that if we have that aspect, that means we're intentionally thinking through it. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Not just saying I'm, I'm going to go willy nilly about how I post and I don't care who sees it, who does it. But I think we need to be careful and cautious of, because we did take on that, that ordination. We did take on a pastoral role. That doesn't mean everything that needs to be on there is what, well, how would we define pastor? You know, there <laughs> plenty of stuff. We can have some haziness there, but, but creating that boundary around of, of this is the kind of person I want to be in the digital sphere just as much as I am in the physical one in person, I guess, is it maybe the right way for people looking at the video, like you're getting a view into my home right now and you can see some of the stuff that's posted up behind me. Like I put thought into what I put Mm -hmm. on the walls in in the same way. Like Mm -hmm. we just want to put a little bit of thought into what we're putting on our, well, they used to call it a Facebook wall, right? Into what we're putting in our, our social media feeds. I mean, it's the same kind of thing. So and I love maybe your word. allowing oh, people that much knowability for us in that space. Sure. Well, the intentionality too. And, and I love, 
how you said, like we're, we're called and Bishop lays hands on us and it's a public ministry. And, and mm-hmm. that's, we wrestle with that throughout the course of our ministry. It's, it's hard yeah. at times. It's hard on our kids. It's hard on our families. Um, and yet this is what we've been commissioned and ordained to do in that sense of like the world is your parish and, mm-hmm. and this is what the world looks like now it's digital. Uh, and so, you know, we can stick our head in the sand, which is what I usually want to do and just ignore it. Or we can try to engage it with integrity and with some boundaries, um, intentionally and just do the best that we can. That's kind of what I'm hearing too. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, what are some examples of UMCs that you see doing social media well? Like we, we wrestle with this personally, we wrestle with it in our church and how to engage. So, uh, wh- who do you see like doing this well, this work well, and what do they have in common? Sure. Yeah. There are just some churches, social media presence that, you know, when I'm looking to cultivate my own church's social media presence that I look to yeah. and kind of the, the, the peers in ministry and they're all kind of platform specific. So there are some doing things well on this platform and others mm-hmm. doing things well on that platform. And it's not a complete list, but um, on Facebook, I look at Glencliff United Methodist Church in Nashville, Tennessee. And, you know, one of the reasons why I look to them is because they're they're a similar size church to to my church okay. within Nashville as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, I well, they're, they're just maybe just a little bit bigger, you know, so they have that, that good presence, but they're just well cultivated and it doesn't hurt that, uh, Stephen Adair, the person who I, I sense primarily cultivates their Facebook feed as a fellow worker at United Methodist Communications, but what a um, gift. <laughs> so, Shout yeah, out. He, and his story is really cool because he, he actually started the United Methodist Facebook page for the denomination as a college student. And wow. then, uh, because there just wasn't one. And so do you know what year that was buying it from him and then hiring him on later on? Yeah. I would be fascinated crazy. to know what year that was. Do you recall or no? I don't know. Oh, okay. Yeah. That'd be cool. <laughs> it was long before I got here. Okay. It was probably before I was even on Facebook myself. You know? <laughs> um, Instagram, I look at uh, Las Vegas First United Methodist Church. They've just kind of caught my eye. Uh, I think they're LV First is their their tag, and they just have a good balance of event invitations and slice of life kind of pictures so you can get a feel of Mm -hmm. who they are, you know, what kind of people are attending their events. And also they do some sermon clips. Also, there's a a church in Missouri. They're called The Well. I think they're the well.636. And they do the the same kind of thing. And what I like about what they add into it, though, is that they have platform specific content. So it'll be like the pastor sitting down and just explaining to people on Facebook some of the some of the, or not Facebook, but Instagram in this case, you know, some of the things that they do and some of the things that are, are important to their, to their faith community. Cool. And, and really, I think that's the common thread that's uh, in all of this is that um, they're not, these, these churches aren't trying to be everything for everyone, mm-hmm. but they're using mm-hmm. this space instead to clearly articulate like who they are and what their values are as a faith community, what's important to them. And so through that, they become really easily knowable for their accounts, through their accounts. So, 
you know, people who aren't going to agree with some of the things that they're saying can kind of check out rather quickly. And, and people who do agree are, are feeling invited in. Um, mm. There are a couple of churches that are doing TikTok pretty well, too. I look at Birmingham First United Methodist Church out of Alabama. Mm-hmm. Uh, St. Luke's in Indianapolis is another one that I think is doing TikTok pretty well. But with TikTok, I have noticed it's really tough for an institutionally branded account to gain a lot of traction on TikTok. Yeah. It's a lot easier for a pastor, mm. the individual pastor, to create their own account and and start sharing there and get way more reach than uh, an institutionally branded account. Yeah, I've noticed that. And I, and I play around and we have a mutual friend, Ryan, and, and he's the one that, that really, that the one that connected us is part of that conversation I had with him because I was struggling with that. I was like, man, I, I post on my church's account and, you know, we'll get 300, 400, sometimes 700 views, but I post something silly on my own personal account, thousands, right? Uh, I mean, yeah, it's just right? weird how that, and, <laughs> and the algorithm will just drive you insane some days because you're <laughs> trying to figure it out, trying to experiment. It just doesn't make sense, right? Um, so that's interesting yeah. that you bring that up. Yeah. But yeah, it does if you think about the what they're going for. They, all yeah. these social platforms, like their their whole purpose is to keep you engaged on that platform. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, Facebook is kind of the most obvious in this and that they have found a number of years ago and they made it very public that people will stay on Facebook more when they're talking to other people yeah. and they're going to become overwhelmed and leave the platform quickly when they're just seeing a bunch of posts from kind of faceless institutions. So they went through this whole shift in the algorithm and everything from a Facebook page standpoint really dropped down and our person-to-person interactions were really played Mm -hmm. up. And I think TikTok, it does that quite a bit now as well. And we'll link all that for, for those listening. We'll link some of these accounts to, to that, to our page so that you can kind of peruse through those two, um, because I think yeah, that sure. is just helpful to look at. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and sort of a, a, f- a final question that we had um, is for any low-tech clergy like me out there, or also lay folks, um, I'm sitting here going, man, I hope no one goes and looks at my church's Facebook page because we haven't posted in ages other than the Sunday morning worship. But um, I need to be on that. So what, what are some first steps for us low-tech clergy and lay leaders out there who are trying to engage and do the best they can and get you know warmed up to this? Uh, what are some of those first steps that you say that we can take to have that online ministry presence? Um, well, to think about how you find things online. So for example, how does your family go about finding a restaurant to eat at these days? You know, more than likely, you're probably searching for a restaurant that's near you. Uh, and then you might look at some of the menu items and some of the some of the customer reviews, right? So just to kind of be aware of that. So if somebody is searching for a church in your area, are they able to know like what's on your menu? Meaning like mm-hmm. where you are and and when they might be able to to gather together with you, um, making that obvious. And you can do that through uh, your church website. Um, You can do that through your church's Facebook page. I mean, any kind of outward-facing entity like that that's, you know, again, visible to the public where they can see that kind of information. And also to make sure then that um, your church has an impression on Google So cultivate that a little bit. Maybe even encourage some of your church members to share reviews on Google Mm -hmm. about your church. Uh, That would go a long way. And space them out a little bit too. So I've heard that Google really 
encourages or, or rewards um, a uh, ongoing repetition of participation. So, you know, maybe invite like one or two people specifically a week to like say, hey, hey, will you go leave us a Google review and <laughs> just share your testimony on why this church is a good fit for you? That'd be great. Um, yeah. So <laughs> I guess thinking about it in that realm. So you don't even need to have, you know, a fully well-built web page um, to begin with, but just kind of the basic information, you know, let people know how they can find you and where to find you and when they can find you at these places. Yeah, that's good. Uh, that's, that's helpful. Good. Thank you. Yeah. I also think time back to the conversation you had about context, like even just saying who you are and what you're about, man, could be such a gift to the, your community. Things from the mm-hmm. churches that you named, Ryan, I'm familiar just because I've scrolled by them before. They're very upfront. This is what we believe and the kind of people yeah. we are and um, what we believe about God and the Bible. And it, it's, it's so there. You don't have to search for it. Right. Um, and and I think, man, that could be a a huge draw to somebody. Just, I I think the United Methodist theology is a gift to the world that many people don't know what we actually believe. They know Mm. perhaps what we're against. Right. But like we, and that has been such a disaster in the last Mm. couple of years, because I think we are such a gift to the world. Our theology around grace and the open table is such a, the, a, a gift to the world. But we just yeah. don't tell that story very well in the digital realm. And what a gift it can be that we can do that, even for low-tech, high-tech people together to say, this is who we are, this is what we believe. This is the kind of community we're seeking to cultivate. We want you to do that with us. Um, yeah. That's good. Yeah. Um, we're we're going to end, and this is something we've stolen from other podcasts before, and we're very upfront when we steal things, and we steal things very proudly. <laughs> and part of this is called the, the Holy Roast, so where we came up with this name from, is asking our guests uh, as a part of our podcast a series of questions um, that you didn't receive ahead of time, and, and just seeing, hey, what comes off the top of your mind? Are you ready for it, Ryan? All right. I don't know if this is my forte, but I'm ready. Let's roll. <laughs> ready as you'll be. So what are you reading right now? Uh, I'm reading, I can't even tell you the name of it. It's a book about the history of the Anglo-Saxons. In fact, it might just be called the history of the Anglo-Saxons. <laughs> really? It's, it's, it's totally a dorky history read, but that's just where my mind is right now. So, uh, that's where I've been escaping to. I do. I'm one of those that reads multiple books at once though. Mm-hmm. So I do also have a book that I'm just about to the end of. It's even more frivolous. It's, um, called the nightmare man. And I've forgotten who that's by, but, uh, it's uh, kind of fictional or Stephen Kingish type Ooh, all right. material. There you, yeah. Yeah. there you go. What's keeping you alive right now? Oh well, as we're recording this, my birthday is in two days. Uh, Happy and, birthday! Yeah, thanks. So I get to have like my biannual sushi dinner. Uh, the rest of the family not a fan of sushi, so I got to cash in on that birthday check. Um, I'm looking forward to that, uh, and also just like. I find a lot of joy in the Christmas season. So, um, you know, we are recording this prior to Christmas. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm fed off of that. Yeah. That's wonderful. For someone that has their birthday during the Christmas season, you don't often hear that, that you enjoy it. You get to, have to oh, share yeah. your birthday with Jesus. That's great. <laughs> you still like it. Who you better still to like share it? it. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What, are, what are four things on your nightstand right now? Um. Oh, that's a challenge. I don't. I don't actually officially have a nightstand, but laying oh, next to what bed. a monster! I'm just <laughs> kidding. No judgment. But. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, phone charger. Um, 
I use an iPad for reading. So that's sitting there. I often read myself to sleep. Um, um, oh, and then, well, my wife accuses me of being like the little girl in signs where I leave water cups everywhere. <laughs> nice. uh, so yeah, there's probably, there's probably a couple of water those. cups yeah. that, that would fill it out. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. What's your favorite? A couple glasses of water. <laughs> Sorry. What's your, we can count those as multiple ones, but what is your favorite way to unwind after a long day? Oh, oh, boy, boy, boy. Um, well, af- after a work day, I, I do like a fake commute since I work at home. So I'll go out and, and walk the dogs for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then actually, since I spend so much of my day in the digital world, I tend to go analog yeah. <laughs> in the evening. So uh, that would be reading a book and maybe playing a game if the rest of the family is into it. If they've got stuff to do and I'm just kind of on my own, then I'll, I'll listen to music. Um, yeah. Nice. I, I like, and I like the analog version of music. So oftentimes that is coming on a, on a record. Wow. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So you're called up the bat. This ties in very well. You're called up the bat. What's your walk up song? This is the most challenging question I think I've ever been asked. <laughs> like, oh man, I have to put like the whole essence yes. into one song. Yes. 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 Yep. Whew. No pressure. <laughs> Yeah, although you know it's kind of kind of be aggressive because of the walk-up music. Um, I think I'm going to go with um, uh, "Even Flow" by Pearl Jam. I just feel like that's reflective of like my generation. So, like, okay. yeah, and it comes on kind of strong. So I don't know. It just has that feeling of like motivating walk-up music. Yeah, I love it. I think it's great. One of the things that we've talked about every week is when people share that as part of this interview is we do think that that pastors should have walk-up songs to their sermons, mm-hmm. right? I mean, oh, so, that would be so much fun. Wouldn't it? I mean, <laughs> I, I think we should put that. So I think Evenflow could work into that. Um, so that could be our <laughs> gift for you. You can come uh, preach at one of our churches yeah, and we'll play it for preach you. Preach anytime. Come mm-hmm. on down. <laughs> Or up. Well, so that being said, like, do you all have walk-up music for your sermons? Have you been asked that question yet? What would you say? We asked ourselves oh, uh, the did. first yeah, pilot episode. Right. I saw we, the episode. We yep. did that. <laughs> we so yours was. Are you like, ready for it by Taylor Swift? Yeah, mm-hmm. Swift probably represents my generation. <laughs> <laughs> and mine was uh, "All I Do Is Win" by DJ Khaled because yeah. of Duke basketball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because of Duke basketball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but every time I've been on like an extended vacation uh, and then come back from leave, um, my worship team, as I walk up to do our benediction at the end, we call it the BTR, like be the revolution. Now kind of like go and, you know, be the light in the world sort of thing. Um, They often will play when I come back from vacation, back in black as I walk up (laughs) to to do the benediction. So, but that's just my worship team for you. (laughs) That's what their sense of humor. So we don't do it for preaching as much as uh, a little ditty every time I walk up to give the benediction. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. Well, thanks, Ryan, for being with us. This has been a, a fun conversation for us and hopefully for you as well. Um, I yeah. hope we continue this conversation. And, and if you're watching this, hey, we are now no. We need to grow that engagement, folks. And so please engage <laughs> with us. Let us know what was the highlight of this conversation for you, anything you learned. Um, anything you learned about us or yourself would be great. Yeah, like, follow. Do all the things. Leave a, leave a rating and review. That's, that's very important. Yeah, I'll, I'll give that plug for you. It's kind of awkward to ask for your own reviews, but I'd say you know, go ahead and hit that five star button. There we go. Oh, thanks, Ryan. <laughs> five star. 